0: Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. So we're here at the Rachel Rossi meet and greet in South Central LA, where she is going to be talking to some constituents here, and we wanted to do some interviews with the folks that are out here to hear what she has to say. So Rachel Rossi would be the first public defender running for office in the city of LA. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I'm happy to see it happen. I am. I'm glad to see new blood, new thought. I'm glad to see this.
0: Do you believe that since she's a public defender, she has a different view of the justice system? Meaning that for a long time we've had some tough on crime prosecutors that have done nothing but lock up people for smoking pot. Uh, you can go down the list of things: three strikes are out, and we have a we have a larger in jail population in the United States of America than China does at this point. That's the data. So. The
1: whole system is set up to make money off of people, uh, for more and more government jobs. More and more government jobs for jails, prosecutors, police. It's just more and more for them. Prison guards, more and more. So we need to have new blood and new thinking. And I'm glad she's coming from a, a different angle because the par- prosecutor and the police department are not supposed to be buddies. They're really not. No. And that you know that's a violation of the of the whole Constitution, anyway, separation. They're not supposed to be working together. And right now they are.
0: This is entirely true. Uh, for a long time we also had, you bring up corporate money and about making money. For a long time we had private prisons in the state of California that were not only profiting from having longer sentences, like we incentivized having longer sentences, locking more people up, but they were also using labor and voluntary servitude. and. Uh, so you could literally have a company like Victoria's Secret come in and they had a contract where they were getting uh, this, the private the, the uh, private prison labor for you know they were getting paid thirty cents an hour but so you which is twofold you lose good jobs on the outside where these people would be making ten twelve dollars an hour, and on top of it you're it is sla- it absolutely is slave labor uh, so what are your thoughts on that
1: Well again they're sleeping together they're all cooperating and working together it's like a conspiracy where you have private prisons the police, the the entire uh, prosecutors are all working together and getting paid taxation money.
0: So recently on that same note, I don't know if you saw this, Michael Bloomberg got busted for using private prison labor in New York to make phone calls for his campaign, which I think is egregious as hell. Like This is infuriating to me. What are your thoughts on that?
1: That is really outrageous and it's totally abuse of power, total uh, exploitation, totally.
0: It's pretty gross. Um, so now, what are your thoughts on Jackie Lacey? If Rachel wins the uh, Democratic primary, she's uh, going up against her. She's the current prosecutor. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, she needs to go. Uh, the bottom line is we need new people. Uh, a lot of people get hooked on these government jobs. Government checks are so big. And you got your husband making a government check, your wife making a government check, and they can't stop. So it's up to the people to put an end to this.
0: One one of the most egregious things that Jackie Lacey did, in my opinion, and I'm curious to know what you think of this, is even Charlie Beck wanted this police officer prosecuted for murder and she refused to prosecute, prosecute him. This was last year or maybe a year and a half ago. Why? why would she not prosecute? Even if you have Charlie Beck, who is in charge of the department, saying this this police officer committed murder and should be charged and prosecuted, even he's saying it. This is a guy that has defended the LAPD when they've been wrong on more than one occasion. Why would she still not prosecute him?
1: She's actually working for the police department and not for the people. That's why she refused to prosecute the police officer.
0: So you're saying that the department and the pr- prosecutor's office are so intertwined at this point? Quid quid pro quo.
1: They're co They're the same. They're, they're not supposed to be the same, but they are.
0: And what is your name, sir?
1: My name is Willie Hampton.
0: Thanks for talking with us.
2: ...who have been studying bail and bail trends and movements across the country. This is an elected position. And as a district attorney, you only know so much as someone who's only been in a courtroom or as someone who's an attorney, you don't understand mental health. You don't understand a lot of the factors that are implicating what is churning through your courtrooms every day. And so I believe that one of the things that is, that has to be a main priority for the DA and what I would do as DA is to sit down with community members regularly to Enhance the way that we are notifying the public of what we're doing, how long it's going to take and allowing the public to give us feedback about what they're seeing. Because the other thing is LA county is huge and what people see on the ground day to day has to reform has to um, inform the DA's policies. And so I would bring the community in right at the beginning. Absolutely, so SB 10 I think is a confusing bill for a lot of people because we wanna eliminate cash bail. Cash bail has no connection at all to public safety. Cash bail uh, incarcerates people based off of income level. Um, But what SB 10 did was it created this risk assessment instead. And oftentimes risk assessments result in racial disparities and there is a risk that this risk assessment could increase the numbers of people who are detained pretrial. One of the things that I worked on specifically when I was in Washington DC was the um, working specifically on the oversight of a risk assessment tool. So one of the things that we need to do automatically is whoever is creating the risk assessment tool, whoever's validating the risk assessment tool has to be an expert in risk assessments and in mitigating racial disparities. We need to ensure that that's happening and, I, and it's not. There are other components of the bill that require uh, decision making to happen before you even get to court. So one of the things that SB 10 does is for certain lower level offenses, a a team that is not even the judge um, will interview the people who get arrested and they will make the decision and it will be probation. will make the decision as to we're just gonna let these people out right now before we even get to court. At that crucial stage, I believe it is incredibly important that we have attorneys present, defense attorneys, because if you have the government interviewing people without an attorney, that's a problem. So I think there are a lot of There there are multiple issues with this bill, and my fear is that we have a DA currently who is not engaging and figuring out how we can address and mitigate those concerns. In LA County Jail right now, 44% of people sitting there are sitting there pre-trial. They haven't been convicted of anything. We need to ensure that whether SB 10 remains law or does not, those numbers need to go down because pre-trial, that is a stage where someone is susceptible to coercion and pleading guilty when they're actually innocent. That is when you're very likely to lose a home, lose a job, potentially lose custody of your kids. That is a very coercive situation. So not only do we need to increase the numbers of people who are being released pretrial, we also need to ensure that we're giving people the resources to ensure they're successful when they're on release. That means ensuring people know when to come to court. TEXT REMINDERS, ENSURING THAT WE START TO EXPLORE WAYS TO PROVIDE CHILD CARE OR TO PROVIDE VIDEO ARRAIGNMENTS. LA COUNTY IS HUGE AND A LOT OF THE WARRANTS THAT HAPPEN IN LA COUNTY, IT'S LITERALLY BECAUSE PEOPLE CANNOT MAKE IT TO COURT. THAT SHOULDN'T BE THE REASON FOR A WARRANT. SO WE NEED A DA WHO IS OUT THERE TALKING ABOUT INNOVATIVE METHODS TO ENSURE THAT WE REDUCE THESE WARRANTS. ANYONE ELSE? Oh, oh, <coughs> As a community who is not familiar with you, I want
3: to know um, as a Black and Latina daughter of immigrants, what was your family experience, um, both Black and Latina, and any community
4: activism that you engaged in before or
2: during your service as well. Absolutely. So my background confuses a lot of people (laughs) because my dad was born in the Dominican Republic and my mom was born in Greece. So half of me is Afro-Latina and the other half comes from Greek roots that actually came from the Pontian Greeks so northern Greece. Um, so my mom's first language was Greek, my dad's first language was Spanish, and interestingly I grew up mostly black in LA. Um, in LA County, it's, it's very rare to see an Afro-Latina, and um, it's interesting because what I've found more so even running for office is that in LA County there is a very clear divide between black and Latino, and I am both. But I was in, I was on the board of the Langston Bar Association. I was on the board of the Black Women Lawyers, and I was on the board of the Latina Lawyers Bar Association. And for a lot of people, I think it gets confusing, but um, I had a very interesting upbringing in that I was privileged to be a part of multiple different worlds, and a lot of people don't get that privilege. Um, But I also was able to understand and relate to the struggles of a lot of different worlds. Um, And as far as activism goes, um, I sort of grew up in the church, and my dad's a pastor now, and so a lot of the activism that I sort of grew up in was volunteering with church, um, going on missions trips, uh, singing in the church services, um, things of that nature. But um, ever since college and law school, criminal justice has been my focus, um, and I've been actively involved in the bar associations and in ways to sort of focus on ensuring that we have people of color in the legal profession.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
2: what?
4: But what I'm hearing from you you understand that for too long, historically, what has happened not our communities have not had relationships with this one. There's always been this returning, I thought for those various reasons. So what oh, I'm hearing from you is that
0: you are willing to
4: tell us that you're people have an environment, constantly set up, to actually work with on a regular basis, while we general in general and.
2: I think that's crucially important that we engage community members, experts, stakeholders at every level of the community regularly. Absolutely. Oh, there's, I'll come back.
1: Yes. Uh, thank you very much. My name is Cody, and uh, I just experienced uh, something where a friend of mine was murdered in another state, and this member. So we're going through uh, a shock my family and the community that was in place. So, in reference to people who are violent, how can we attack this such that they're not running around?
2: Absolutely, I think that needs to be the DA's priority. So only 33% of people in LA County Jail are suffering serious, or are being faced with serious or violent charges. That means that we are utilizing a lot of resources on prosecuting low-level homelessness type offenses, rather than putting the resources towards solving violent crime. One of the things that our DA needs to do is prioritize solving violent offenses, sex offenses, in order to ensure that the community is safe, rather than wasting money on these low-level offenses where people are churning in and out of county jail every day. That's one of my priorities. And I'm sorry to hear about what you are going through.
4: Hi, my name is Green. Um, I'm gonna
2: try to pose
4: the question. I don't know how to very well, but um, you know what? I just
2: feel like economy there's a lot of career politicians. So uh, and I know that everybody supports whether it change with their position and stuff, but we to be a big obstacle in terms of Going now to getting someone new with because there's that. What do you think is the biggest obstacle you're going to make? Uh, I'm Trying to shift now to your position, getting in. So, one that's a question I get a lot. That you know, in LA County, there's so many career politicians, and they just play musical chairs and they just switch seats and right Um, and so because of the structure the political structure and establishment in LA it is hard for someone like me to fight my way through but I've always said I don't back down from a challenge just because it's hard doesn't mean that I'm not going to fight to do it and that it's not able to happen and it will happen Um, the reason that I am running is because we need a non-career politician, because we need someone who hasn't spent their entire office as a career politician or in the DA's office, but someone who's actually of the people and stood with the people, and that's why I'm running. I think one of the, um, one of the, the other questions that I get is once you're in this office, will you have opposition from community members, from your own office? And what I say is, interestingly, we've received a lot of uh, support secret support from DA's in the office who said look I want to be progressive and my boss isn't letting me and let me give you some inside scoop on how you can create policies and what we need in the office so I do think there are people in the office who want to be uh, given a voice who are progressive and reform minded um, but I don't have any um, delusions that it won't be difficult and that's why I'm doing it because I'm willing to fight and because I'm seeing this as an act of service Yes, yes. Um, I had to to make you wait.
4: I I just want to say that you can answer if you can. There's a lot of of a movement going on right now because we're addressing the fact that in our community, mental health is over. We're looking at the fact that we're trying to replace one system that has been historically racist with another system that's historically racist. So it's like it doesn't benefit us if we will have somebody that's not from our culture, who did not know us, making an assessment of if we're mentally ill, when mental health from Dr. Benjamin Russell is now has been very racist in its treatment with the psychiatric drugs and the electric shock. And so you know, if, if a person is a criminal, they're a criminal. We don't have to excuse them and say they're ill because they're a criminal. Then you know, we got to be insane to shoot somebody and kill them anyway. So, it's not about that, it's just that we... Reverend J. K. says you're going to have people on certain panels and okay? We need to be involved in that because, you know, it's a one-sided story right now. And, and things are getting worse and not getting better.
2: So, And I'll just say, I think that a lot of these issues are a lot more complicated than the sound bites that people throw out there. One of the things that's incredibly important to me is reform, but working with law enforcement and talking to law enforcement. Not all law enforcement, but law enforcement has seen things on the ground and understands things in a different way that others may not. So does the ACLU, so do other criminal justice reform groups, so do activists who have seen things that law enforcement has not seen. But I think we need to be fully engaged and understand all of the perspectives, and I absolutely agree with you that so many systems, when it comes to housing, when it comes to homelessness, when it comes to mental health, so many systems in LA County are infused with the history of racism, and we have to address it, and we have to acknowledge it, and we have to fight against it, and some of it may be something that the DA has the power to change. Some of it may just be something the DA has to stand up and say this is wrong. And so there, there's, there's a lot that is lacking from our DA's office. And as a DA, I would stand up and say when something is wrong. Absolutely. So when it comes to mental health diversion, um, what that means is that you have to plead guilty, then you get treatment, and then you potentially could get your case dismissed or you just don't go to jail, right? There is a place for when someone has actually created and has actually committed a crime, and does suffer from significant mental health issues there is a place for mental health diversion but what i think we need to understand is that there are certain community members that should never enter the criminal justice system in the first place who are suffering from mental illness so the first thing i would do is explore ways when it's a low level offense where someone is just suffering from mental illness and should not even be in the criminal justice system, I would explore partnerships with the Department of Mental Health so that we can never even file a case. So this person doesn't have to plead guilty. So if you are under the treatment of the Department of Mental Health, we refer you to where you can get treatment and help. Um, but then when it comes to the diversion program that exists today, uh, you know, as a public defender, I saw it in courtrooms where it was impossible to get the mental health diversion program, impossible. Then we saw this Rand study that just came out that said over 62% to 68% of people suffering from mental health issues in our jail do qualify for mental health diversion. So now we have the data to back up what I saw on the front lines, that it is true that people are sitting in jail right now who should be getting this diversion and are not. So that is what what brings me back to the policy I talked about before. I would place a greater emphasis on the doctor's recommendation about whether someone is amenable to treatment and whether someone has been diagnosed with a mental health disorder and whether they can be safely transitioned into community-based treatment. And if the doctor believes so, we need to create a presumption in line with trusting the doctor. That's what I think should happen. Right now, the DA's office, when looking at whether to pursue diversion for mental health, people with suffering from mental health, the factors they look at include, what does the arresting officer think? Has the arresting officer seen this person before? That may be a relevant factor, but what should be given the greatest weight is what does the doctor say? And that is how I would shift the thinking when it comes to mental health diversion.
1: So, I guess what well, I'm asking, asking is what about before an officer is actually there on the scene? The call to 911 or not 911,
4: would be that.
2: Yes, I think that's there's a two two layered problem there. Number one is that as community members, we don't know who else to call. As community members, we call the police when there's a mental health issue, right? And so there's a need to educate ourselves about the possibilities to do to make other calls. But then, secondly, we need to expand access to other possible uh, outreach vehicles that are not law enforcement. Um, third, there are law enforcement teams that exist to respond to mental health issues that are law enforcement coupled with a mental health treatment provider. We need to expand the use of that as well, because from what I've heard in talking to law enforcement is that when they get a call of a mental health crisis, they want to call that specialized team that has someone who has the experience with mental health, but they have to wait four hours, and by then it's too late, right? So expanding access to mental health treatment providers on the ground is crucial. And then I'll say there are nonprofits and organizations that exist right now, and in that in, including a partnership with the Department of Mental Health, that you can call. if if you're seeing someone who's homeless, who's suffering from mental illness and having some sort of a a crisis, you can call and they will deploy mental health treatment providers to assist. Uh, But again, it is under-resourced and if they're gonna take two days to get there, um, how good is it? So we need to look at, stop spending 800 million a year just on incarcerating people in LA County Jail and start to put those resources toward actually providing the mental health. Yeah. Um,
4: the current DEA deputy announced recently that she's going to be
3: dismissing 66,000 low-level marijuana convictions. Uh, the numbers are probably more close to 200,000, if I understand correctly. But they said 66,000. We'll that. So it looks like we're kind of making a little bit of headway on ending prohibitions. but where do you stand on marijuana? and if how
2: So the first problem with with um, our current DA's conveniently timed announcement is that when we were <laughs> when we were having the discussion about legalization, she was opposing it. In 2016, she opposed legalization. Then, two years ago, when we asked her to automatically expunge old marijuana convictions, she said no. She said she didn't have the resources. She couldn't do it. People have to figure it out, come to court, petition it on your own. And then now, three weeks before she's up for reelection, three weeks before, she now decides she's going to do her job. She should have done this a long time ago. And I'll tell you this, as a former public defender, I saw the devastation of the criminalization of marijuana on our black community specifically and we need to do more than just correct the past. We need to start creating policies to protect our communities and empower our communities as we go through the legalization process in the future as well. And outside of the marijuana context, we need to look at substance use as a medical issue and stop overcharging felony convictions for people who are suffering from substance use um, and trying to circumvent the reforms that the voters are voting into place for treatment rather than incarceration. Thank Thank you. So everyone vote for Measure R. I'm very, very supportive of Measure R. It's incredibly important. What it does is it creates more oversight over the sheriff's department by allowing a civilian oversight commission the um, subpoena power. What I think is incredibly important is to increase oversight and transparency at every level and stage of our criminal justice process. So what we're now seeing the public wanting with our Sheriff Department, oversight, subpoena power, outside eyes, that's what I think we need in our DA's office as well. Those similar perspectives. So one of the things that I would do specifically when it comes to the racial disparity issue is once I have the data, once we've tracked and published the data on racial disparities, submitting that data for an outside audit, an outside review, so that separate eyes can tell me, this is what you need to change with your office. I think we absolutely need to pursue oversight and transparency at all costs. Thank you.
3: I was busy in the back taking pictures. <laughs> One more time for Rachel Rossi. We'd like to officially thank you for coming out. So many of our community members feel like they aren't heard. So many of us feel like there's nothing that we can do, that the system is the system, so you being here today just shows us like we do have a voice, our opinions do matter, and we want to thank you one more time for coming out.
0: So I'm here with Rashida Kilpatrick, who is the policy director for NAN Los Angeles, who is the group that just sponsored the meet and greet with Rachel Rossi. I wanted to speak with you today because you asked some very knowledgeable questions during the Q&A. One of the things that you brought up, which I agree with you on, is the SB10. So we've now, in my opinion, replaced one racist system with a second racist system. And it's... Let's be honest. We need to get rid of cash bail because it's very much made poverty illegal. These are There are folks sitting in jail right now that have not been convicted of a crime. They simply cannot afford to post bail. But the problem I have with SB 10, and, and I, I feel like we have to mention that this happened as the bill wound its way through the legislature, is we're now giving a lot of power to judges to decide what risk is. And if that is a racist judge, what do you think he's going to use as a deciding factor? I'm saying it's race. So. What are your thoughts on this? So it's funny you ask about this because I initially
3: studied SB10 and I was like, oh, this sounds great. And then I actually called a couple of different people that I know with different organizations that actually have been working on bail and they said that they're against it. And the ACLU is against it. So it was like a little confusing for me. But then as I read more and actually the risk assessment um, is very problematic. And you know, Nan hasn't taken a stance on it yet. Some people feel like you know it starts problematic, but then as we we can work on it more to take out the risk assessment or to actually, um, you know, uh, put. Levels on the risk assessment. What can they look at? What you know, you know. So there's ways to work around it. Some people feel like we just need to stop it and start all over again. What we do know is that bail is a big problem in our community. Um, what we do know is that Nan is going to be there on either side, pushing it, and just to making sure that our community members are not sitting somewhere in jail just because they're poor.
0: Right, and I agree with that. Uh, Also, I wanted to ask you about the fact that Rachel is a public defender. We've seen a wave of public defenders sweep the country, starting with Larry in uh, Philadelphia. We saw Pamela Price run in Oakland. Although she did not prevail in her race, I think she forced a conversation that needed to be had in Oakland. Um, And we now have Chase Boudin, who is the son of Weather Underground members, who is the actual, I know, which is like so revolutionary, it's amazing, right? He is the current district attorney for San Francisco. I think we can do this in L.A. too. What are your thoughts?
3: Well, you know, I think that um, what I'm excited about is the wave. And, what, and you, I think you hit it the nose, the head of nose, is, which is, um, you know, regardless of who wins, the conversation has been pushed. Um, the, it's come up. And even the incumbents are having to face the fact that a lot of people want reform. You know, um, we, lo- we looked at some of the past debate uh, in the LA Times debate or whatever and a lot of it was about reform you know and so to me that's a win in itself like um, again Nan hasn't taken a position of which candidate that we're going to back um, we obviously have some members that are very excited about Rachel Rossi and I you know I understand why um, but what we do know is that we're behind reform and um, anyone who wins the race um, we are going to be pushing them to, to make sure that we do have reform and we do have a system that helps everyone and not just the rich.
0: So, yeah, Jackie Lacey didn't even bother to show up for that debate. I was there. So I think, yeah, so I think that that is is a huge statement. But let's talk about Gascon for a second because he is uh, who Rachel is running against, who I think is her biggest competition. But here's the thing. Gascon is an ex-cop and he's also an ex-prosecutor for the city of San Francisco. So he's trying to run on this idea of being a progressive prosecutor, but I don't know what that means. This seems a little bit oxymoronic to me, although I do like some of what he says. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, our thoughts are,
3: I am more worried about what your policies today are going to be. I realize that people change, they learn, and that's actually what we expect of our elected officials or what we expect of everyone, right? Like, as things go on, as you have experience, you learn what policies work and what policies don't. Um, I watched uh, his... The uh, LA Times debate, and he talked a lot about different reports that came out that he, you know, he commissions or that he read and it helped to change his mind. You know, I'm not sure. Um, a lot of people are skeptical. Um, he actually, we're in talks with his uh, people for him to come out and talk to our community members as well. Yeah, and so, you know, these are going to be questions that we ask. Um, I'm less worried about what happens and more worried about what you're planning on doing and what you can do for us to make sure that, again, our community members are feeling safe and served.
0: You know, and I think that's a good point. I agree with that. People do change, folks. People do learn lessons and they can mold their positions. But I guess my concern with him is that we don't know if he's sincere or not because there's nothing he hasn't shown us yet so and that-, that
3: will be one of our first things like what are your exact policies like one thing I think that we learned here at NAN at least is that the whole general oh we need to do reform is not good enough and we you know if you notice today we asked about uh, Rachel's specific policies that she's gonna do towards reform and we would also do that with uh, Gascon we need to know specific policies we don't want fluff we want to know like what are your plans exactly in the first 60 days in the first 90 days within the first year like how will you impact the system because we know the system is broken
0: and what is Nan's biggest what is Nan's biggest policy issue that you're working on right now you know that all of
3: them (laughs) you know we have members that come in and everyone has broken issues for whatever reason. You know, they come in and we we open our doors to everyone. So we have a lot of people that are worried about police accountability. We have a lot of people that are worried about homelessness. You know, a lot of our members are in Englewood and they're being pushed out and yeah, gentrification, all of those things. So that's the thing about Nan, like we are action. Action is in our middle
0: name. And so if you come to us, you have an issue, we will make sure your voice is heard. Well, you know, the the bottom line is all of these things, whether it's gentrification, whether it's homelessness, whether it's criminal justice reform all of these things are tied together and they're related and and, and they are it, the economics of it the racist aspects of it they're all interrelated I believe um, let me ask you one final question about uh, California specifically the LAPD is pretty much known as in activist circles let me be clear in activist circles I don't think the media will address this but they are known as one of the most murderous police departments in the country and that is that is backed up by data, that is data. So, uh, and there seems to be a very tight quid pro quo that, that occurs between the current DA's office and the LAPD. How do we crack that? Other than, like, I mean, we can vote for somebody like Rachel, but I think there has to be other methods. Because we can't always rely on having the right DA in place. We need to be able to trust the system. And right now, I think a lot of people, including myself, don't trust the system.
3: Well, you know, I think you said it, it's it's very systematic, right? And it can't be one person. Even if we get the quote-unquote right person today, who knows what's going to happen, right? When, right, exactly. And so at NAN, we've actually been fighting to change the system. What are the big things that we fought for? And. I, um, unfortunately it didn't get passed was an independent investigator, right? So that we could make sure that we have someone neutral who's able to tell what actual facts went down. At this point, um, officers are able to look over what happened, look over their notes, and
0: then talk to And they lie. We have caught them lying. I can I can go after case for case where the LAPD is absolutely, they're supporting each other. They know they're lying. They don't care. And I'm, I'm really, it's disturbing to me because I don't believe the district attorney office cares either. They care about their conviction rate. They don't care about actually handing out justice at this point.
3: Well, and another thing is too. I mean, we have to be um, clear too that like a lot of times it is kind of hard for them to bring cases. Um, obviously, we feel like Lacey should have brought way more cases than she did. But we also have to be honest about. At least I'm an attorney. We have to be honest about. Yeah, yeah. We have to be honest about. You know, the system is kind of set up so so that it's harder to bring cases. So not only do we need an independent investigator, but also you know an independent prosecutor, right? Someone who's a little bit far and can and can actually get facts in that may be a little bit easier for, you know, for us to pass the smell test, if you will.
0: All right. I think that's a great policy. Thanks for speaking with us, Rashida. No problem. Thanks so much for coming. So I'm here with Rachel Rossi, who is running for district attorney here in Los Angeles. I think it's important to uh, realize that she will be the first public defender running for office uh, for the district attorney office here in Los Angeles. And the first thing I wanted to actually ask you about is that designation. I know on uh, Christmas Eve this past December, your... uh, your competitor, so to speak, the other candidate, Gascon, actually tried to have the public defender designation removed from the ballot. So obviously, he's threatened by this. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is why would he even think that that was a suitable route to take? You're clearly a public defender. You have a history of this. This is your job. What, what grounds did he argue that on? So I was actually
2: very interestingly pleased to see a challenge to my ballot designation as public defender because i think it's reflective that our community is ready for something different that being a public defender is an asset that having the experience that i have is something that the public understands will make me a better prosecutor a stronger prosecutor and so um i saw that as a win um i think you know i'm grateful that the court denied the motion um, because the uh, you know, it was a frivolous motion, and I'm glad that the court saw that
0: um, and that we were successful. What was his argument, though? How, why did he think he could even file this motion to begin with? It's, actual, it's your actual job. What was his reasoning? So
2: the legal basis, basically what the law states is that you are permitted to put on your designation any position that you've held within the last calendar year. And I was a federal public defender through February of 2019. The uh, arguments that the attorney was making in court were actually very frivolous and did not really make sense. A lot of what we heard in court was, well, you know, your honor, this is how we do it back in the day, right? It was. It was not a legally sound argument. Um, It was very clear that what I put on my ballot designation
0: is proper under the law. So they're threatened by this. They're threatened. I think the reason they're threatened is there's clearly a movement in the country to put public defenders into DA's offices. We first saw Larry in. in Pennsylvania. We saw Pamela Price run in Oakland, even though she didn't uh, prevail. We now have Chase Boudin, who is in San Francisco. So there's there's clearly a movement afoot where people are fed up with this sort of tough-on-crime, prosecutorial, prosecutorial, I couldn't get that out, stance in which they're just locking up people who are either poor and can't post bail, who have not even been found guilty of anything yet uh, for minor drug convictions. We can go down the list. You know what all of those things are. The point being is we have more people in prison now than China does. And that's a disgrace. And we should be embarrassed and ashamed by that. And clearly the DA's office doesn't care about serving justice. She cares about her conviction rate. And those are two separate things. So what are your thoughts on that? The movement of public defenders running for
2: prosecutor, I think, is reflective of the fact that we need an understanding of humanity in the criminal justice process, that if we're truly going to see reform... It needs to be based on an understanding of what the system is actually doing to people. So when it comes to bail, when it comes to uh, plea bargaining, when it comes to sentencing enhancements, post-conviction, as a public defender, I have seen it on the ground from the perspective of the person who is being charged. And that is why I bring a brand new perspective to reform. And that is why I think the public is excited because if you have Someone in the seat of prosecutor who has been on the other side, that is how we transform what a prosecutor looks like. That is how we transform the mentality of a prosecutor to be one who seeks justice, which sometimes might mean a conviction and sometimes might mean never filing a case, rather than simply seeking incarceration at all costs, conviction at all costs, and racking up numbers. uh, You know, as a public defender, those weren't numbers, those were people to me.
0: No, you're right. They are people. Uh, another thing I wanted to break up is Jackie Lacey, who is... I, look, I'm a cynic when it comes to Jackie Lacey. I think she has proven herself time and time again again to be engaging in quid pro quo with the LAPD. Uh, I think back on that case where even Charlie Beck said that this cop should be prosecuted for murder, and she refused to do it. So clearly... There's a disconnect here. I mean, let's be honest. Charlie Beck is not a friend of of leftist sort of uh, progressive prosecutorial types of of viewpoints. He's tough on crime guy. But even he was saying this person committed murder and should be prosecuted. And she refused to do that. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I think it's incredibly troubling. I think that her record has resulted in what we see today, which is uh, no lack of accountability, um, increased rates of people suffering from mental illness in our jails, increased rates of racial disparities. Um, We need a prosecutor who will stand up and say enough is enough. This status quo is not acceptable and will actually take active steps towards seeking justice rather than just sitting back and saying, well, this is the way the justice system works.
0: Yeah, which is complete garbage, in my opinion. Um, you know, now she's releasing folks for low-level drug convictions. But, uh, the, again, the cynic in me is is the red alarms are going off because I don't believe that she actually actually believes that this is something she should be doing. I think she thinks these folks still belong in jail. And there's two things there. She's doing it because she sees the writing on the wall. She sees you coming. She sees how, how your wave of... of uh, You're getting popular, you're getting a lot of media attention, so she's threatened by you. But I think the other part of the equation is we passed a state proposition that she eventually is going to have to abide by to release these folks from prison. So it's not like she hasn't had her hand forced in this. What are your thoughts on that? You're absolutely correct. So if we want to
2: know her mentality when it comes to low-level drug offenses, we don't have to guess. She opposed legalization of marijuana in 2016. When we called on her as a community two years ago, to expunge these convictions, automatically expunge these convictions, she refused to do so. So for her to step out now three weeks before an election and say that this is what she wanted to do all along, um, I know that voters are smarter than that. I know that voters will see through that and will look at her record and not what she does days before an election.
0: So I was at the uh, LA County Democratic Party endorsing uh, meeting and she didn't bother to show up that night. Why do you think that is? I think the, the, her failure to receive the Democratic
2: Party's endorsement is a huge blow. It's a huge blow, and it shows that even much of the establishment in L.A. is understanding that it's time to move on, that her practices and her policies are not, um, they're not in line with the values of L.A. County. So I think the fact that she didn't even show up it reveals that she knew it as well, that she knew that she wasn't going to get that endorsement.
0: I want to talk about SB10 for a moment because I think this is a really important conversation. Obviously, we need to get rid of the cash bail system. But SB10 has now, in my opinion, created a new set of problems that can be equally as racist. So you now have a... uh, they have prosecutorial judgment as what they can consider risk assessment, threat assessment, right? And I know Chase Abudin has now stepped away from supporting that, even though he had originally fought for it for this reason. They had added this thing. And if you've got a judge that's a racist judge and he gets to decide what whether this is risky or not, if he's a racist judge, he's going to say yes. I don't, I don't think replacing cash bail with this set of circumstances without any sort of uh, monitoring on it or any sort of backstop on it is a good idea. What are your thoughts on this? So you're absolutely
2: correct. What SB 10 did was eliminate cash bail, which is a very bad thing. We need to eliminate cash bail, but it put in place too much discretion in the power of the hands of one judge to decide if someone stays in or if someone is released. Um, what we need to move to eventually is we need a system that only incarcerates people pre-trial in the limited set of circumstances. Pre-trial incarceration is extremely coercive. This is a point where someone has been arrested, but no one has proven a case against them. They could be innocent. And while you're sitting in jail pre-trial, you are susceptible to losing your house, to losing custody of your kids, to losing your job. So what we need to do is find ways to expand release pre-trial. Whether SB 10 remains the law or not, we need a DA who will implement a policy from the DA's office perspective that will start to track who's getting out and start to actively pursue expanded numbers of people who are being released pretrial and seek to actively fight against racial disparities.
0: I want to talk with you about judges for a second because I think this is the other uh, part of our justice system that is in, in need of vast improvement. We ask the population to vote on judges in the city of LA, and I'm sure they do this across other states and counties. But half of the time, voters don't know anything about these judges, and they have absolutely zero way of finding out information about these judges. What do we do about this? It's
2: absolutely a problem. You know, judges and all other, a lot of the other uh, positions that are on the ballot, the public just doesn't know. And, you know, I get calls every day. What judge should I vote yeah. for? And historically, I would when I would get calls from family members and friends, which judge should I vote for? I would have to do my research myself. And there's often not a lot of information out there. Um, and we do have a dual... Um, process in California where we do have appointments to the bench as well, Um, but I do think that we as a community need to start to get the word out about the importance of judges. When we look at Justice Kavanaugh, when we look at Gorsuch, when we look at these justices that are creating these these terrible laws to implicate our our rights Um, it starts with the local judges because local judges become federal judges which become supreme court judges so we need to get the word out about the importance of judges and the community needs to put the work in to find out about the judges but we also i believe as a as a profession need to be better about finding ways to communicate with people and letting people know who these judges are
0: So I want to ask you also about facial recognition software for a minute, because this is starting to become a hot-button topic, I think. Um, We have a company, for example, Palantir, which is has a very egregious background, starting with the H.P. Uh, Gary leaks back in 2011. I don't know how many people know about that, but they were targeting journalists like Glenn Greenwald. Trying to, It was the original persona management troll farm. So they would have one real account and then 100 troll accounts, and they were posting on social media. They tried to uh, sway public opinion. So this was pre-Cambridge Analytica, although some of the Cambridge Analytica folks came from Palantir. But they create the software that's used by ICE for example, and they also create the software that's used by many of the police departments. So I think there's a two-fold problem here that we're getting into as far as constitutional rights, whether it's the First Amendment, Fourth Amendment, invasion of privacy. I understand that security is also an issue, but can we not find a balance in which we're not handing all of our constitutional rights to private corporations that have a uh, profit motive? Absolutely. We need to be extremely vigilant, and I think where the DA comes into
2: play in all of this conversation is a rigorous under first of all understanding of constitutional rights but the early screening of cases to look at whether law enforcement has violated someone's constitutional rights and not proceeding on those cases. Um, as a district attorney, you have the power to shape law enforcement conduct by ensuring that you're, number one, not filing cases where there was an illegal search, an illegal se- seizure or an illegal arrest, but also communicating with law enforcement regularly and saying, these are the arrests that you're bringing me that are illegal arrests, so that you can begin to shape the policy and change the way that law enforcement interacts with communities.
0: Right. I agree with that. Uh, Let me give you an opportunity to address Gascon, who you are also running against. Uh, Now, he is an ex-cop. He is an uh, ex-prosecutor from San Francisco. So he definitely comes from the other side of the equation. He's trying to run on this idea of being a progressive prosecutor. I I find that term to be entirely oxymoronic. I think uh, part of the centrist part of the Democratic Party. Are, they're co-opting this idea. I'm, I'm a cynic again on this because I just don't believe that they actually mean it. What are your thoughts on that and what separates you from him? I'm running because I believe that a public defender in the seat of prosecutor is
2: how we get reform. I'm running because what what inspired me to run was seeing public defenders running across this country with a message of shifting our entire focus on what a DA should look like and what a DA's goals and policies should be. Um, I'm not running for minor tweaks to the law. I'm, I'm running to reform what a prosecutor does, the approach to justice, um, and the approach to every layer of the criminal justice system from bail to post-conviction.
0: Excellent. And if people want to donate to your campaign, where's the best place for them to go? Go to rachel4da.com. I would love your support. Thank you. Do you have any parting words or anything we didn't discuss that you think is important? March 3rd, get out there and vote. Rachel Rossi for district attorney. Right on. Thank you, Rachel. We
4: do know that many times the Central Park 5, and it's been here also, people are withholding
0: evidence. So what, what about making it that if anyone...